Okay, today we're going to be talking about IoT innovation and why it is a mess. So let's talk about the opportunity and the promise and why the industry is so confused by this topic. Comscope, thinking beyond today's technology to help you make the best decision for your network and your business. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. Okay, so welcome. This is the first program in a series to talk about IoT innovation. What we're trying to do it in the next few weeks is help understand what is going on in this crazy industry. Um, my name is Chris Hare, and I've spent the last 25, 30 years uh, dabbling in various parts of the wireless industry worldwide. And so what we've been working on, particularly the last couple of years, is how the wireless industry is fast becoming internet of things. And that with many new entrants into this industry, it's confusing the heck out of, of everyone that was, has been in it for many years, as well as new entrants. Uh, my guest today is a gentleman called Nicholas Knapp. And Nick and I have been partners in business for a couple of years now, starting to work on the internet of things and to help some younger companies, but also some large companies, navigate what is very much a challenging wireless environment. And so what we're going to do today is begin that conversation and start explaining a little bit about what the landscape looks like, what IoT really stands for, not just the acronym, but practically what it stands for, and then really to start figuring out how the industry untangles itself. So with that, a little bit of the background. Um, as I mentioned, both Nick and I have been in this industry for many, many years. Um, my background was I, I spent many years at both Lucas and TRW um, in the UK, and then working, moving into the US, running uh, large and small startup companies in the Northeast US, and then ending up at Sony Ericsson, um, involved running their supply chain organization and their innovation. The last five years, we've been working on helping large brands figure out their wireless strategy. And this has been a very uh, interesting journey um, as increasingly non-wireless companies have started to figure out the wireless industry. Nick, for, for his part, has been involved in, in the video production and video imaging industry for many, many years, including video gaming, um, at, at one point selling a, a, one of his businesses to THQ. And during that journey and when we started working together at Sony Ericsson, this involved helping the innovation process 
between Sony Ericsson at that time, our two parents, and young startups in the industry that had great technology that was not quite ready for prime time. And that's been really the last five-year uh, discussion is how to get large uh, companies that are by their very nature bureaucratic and, and uh, tend to be slow moving, how to get them to be nimble enough to embrace young technology and not squash it in the process. So so start part of this conversation, uh, let me hand over to Nick and, and ask him to give you a few thoughts about why IoT is exciting, either despite or because of all the confusion that surrounds it. Nick? Yeah, hello everyone. Um, so I think simply put, the, the biggest thing about IoT is just the size of the opportunity. And, you know, the Internet of Things, the, the basic idea is that everything is going to become connected and in the process we're all going to become smarter and so are the devices. Um, but it really is a huge shift. Um, you know, it, cliches like seismic kind of spring to mind. Um, and it's, it's very much unknown territory. And to give you an example of the size of change that I think we're looking at as IoT evolves here, if you cast your mind back, if, if, if you're old like me, um, back to 1995 and the early days of the internet, you know, we had about 35 million people online. And as of last year, there are 2.8 billion people uh, now online. And if you look at uh, mobile phones, we had about 80 million mobile phone users worldwide, and now we're at 5.2 billion. And when you look at the way that the industry's uh, consumer experiences, I mean, every part of everyday life has been changed in those past 20 years, that gives you some kind of clue as to the size of change that I think IoT is going to drive. You know, on, on the corporate side, for example, there's only one of the top 10 internet companies from 1995 still in business, and that's Apple. Um, and, and everybody else is basically gone. So I think you can expect to see really radical change. Um, and then as a, as a derivative of that, I think you can expect to see some pretty amazing um, empowerment in different ways for different groups. You know, we, we were recently at the IoT World event out in uh, San Francisco. I spent a lot of time talking to uh, Uber drivers and we stayed in an Airbnb uh, apartment. And these are people that are now making decent uh, income from services that they are able to provide solely on the backbone of, um, you know, owning something tangible, but being connected to the internet and, and having a, a smart mobile device. Uh, and, and IoT really is going to bring as much of a change again, as you've seen just, just from the internet in the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Nick. I think, I think that's a great start. I think one of the, the um, observations that you make about Uber and Airbnb as two great examples is that, um, you know, we were navigating around um, San Francisco and we've navigated a number of cities around the world in the last 12 months using these two services that didn't exist a couple of years ago and when you start to uh, realize how this ties in context and location payment methods as well as uh, always connected wireless devices um, this is the beginning of a total connectivity that, that really uh, is going to drive not not just new companies but new business models as it started to with with uber and, and airbnb and others uh, already I mean, I think one of the challenges I'm seeing in the industry is that 
when you use examples like Samsung launching literally a dozen smartwatches in the last 12 months, um, clearly even the big wireless mature companies are trying to figure out what the Internet of Things really means. And so for companies outside this industry, it, it's really unknown territory. And I think, as you said about the conference in some it was illustrated by uh, at various times a room of 5,000 people all um, alliteratively scratching their head to try and figure out what what the industry is about and which part do they play in it is it truly open source or is it locked by architecture uh, is it owned by a handful of companies that form a consortium or even a cartel or, or is it completely uh, wide open for innovation and I think that's really what's fascinating for me about this is that it's completely uncharted territory, um, which is which is many years away from from the kind of regulations that we've begun to see in in uh, in, in more conventional wireless spectrum and internet uh, fields. So so Nick, maybe uh, and and maybe if we could have up the first slide just as a little bit of background. Um, one of the things that suddenly it's in, in the vocabulary of everyone in the technology industry and many more people besides. So, so maybe give, give me a few thoughts on, on how did this suddenly pop up from, from the middle of nowhere and why, why should we have been watching this um, even before it had a name? So, I mean, the, the, the basic concept, right, is that, is that everything is connected, um, typically using the internet. And, and part of the reason that that's an important distinction is that historically, you know, say within a uh, an industrial environment, the network that's linked things may have been completely proprietary and completely private. Um, and so, I mean, you know, there's only three words in the name, right? So, uh, so to deal with the internet part, a big part of it is using all of this massive infrastructure that's out there for transporting data. Uh, without necessarily being locked into having to lay your own cable um, and, and create your own uh, private uh, pathways for the for the data, um, and and then of course the other big part of it is is the things themselves. Um, now with the incredible drop in pricing of things like RAM and uh, microcontrollers and and processing power, it's impossible. It's possible to do things that were just simply unthinkable even you know five or ten years ago from a cost point of view. So. I think I, there's a couple of questions, right? The, the first one is, uh, can you make anything smart? And, and, and I think in, in, a, in a very broad sense, the answer now is yes, basically for a few dollars of, of additional bill of materials, you can make any device start to report additional data that might be useful. Um, I think the question that IoT is really struggling with is, should you make it smart? Uh, and, and as part of that, you know, one, one of the, the litmus tests I, I kind of learned to use throughout my uh, time working with different internet companies is sort of how stupid does the idea sound at first blush? I mean, when I, when I first heard about Airbnb, for example, I thought it was the dumbest idea in the world. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are in the same boat with Facebook and Twitter. And obviously those, those have all uh, turned out quite well so far. And an awful lot of what you see people talking about with IoT initially sounds really kind of dumb. You know, we had a great example at the IoT uh, conference where somebody was talking about um, uh, basically IoT knitting needles. So these are smart connected knitting needles, um, which 
sounds like a classically dumb idea, but part of what they do is they tell you when you've dropped a stitch. So if you are a beginning knitter um, uh, trying to deal with the frustration of knitting correctly, um, it's actually a pretty useful tool. And so, you know, I think uh, to, to come back to the question of, of where did it really come from, I think it was born out of a couple of different places. You know, you, you've got um, the, the massive drop in cost, you've got the massive uh, expansive connectability between devices. Um, and, and I think there's, uh, there's a sort of growing realization that, that more data used in the right way can actually be pretty helpful. And when you knit all of those things together, you know, you start to see the, the opportunity to connect everything from your home thermostat to your industrial processing uh, plant um, to uh, various consumer uh, wearables. So you mentioned industrial at the end. I certainly agree. The you know the Internet of Things has kind of grown largely out of the uh, the M to M, the machine to machine space in terms of industrial development. I think one of the challenges I've seen is is that although a lot of um, industrial applications have been seen of connected wireless um, and and not just cellular wireless but Wi-Fi as well for the last few years, um, a lot of these these applications and certainly a lot of the companies involved in that space really are not, are not consumer aware or consumer connected. And so, you know, certainly one of the areas that, that I'm seeing is that although, although it is all about connecting this data that's now available and this capability that's now available, it's also about connecting it in a much more friendly, uh, consumer tolerable way and to your point about the knitting needles, it's, I think it's also about connecting it invisibly. And, and there's been lots of uh, quotes and comments about how the, the best um, user devices, the best user experience are those that are almost invisible because you don't even think about them. There's no instruction manual required. There's no thinking required to get up to speed. Um, I've certainly seen that with my children that, that are able to pick up an iPad or a, or a phone and unlock it and use it in, in no time at all compared to the pain and, and uh, expertise required to get up to speed with early laptops 20 years ago. So it's certainly changed quite significantly. I think coming on to that, um, maybe um, if we can bring up the first slide that we had. So one of the, one of the questions that the industry is asking itself, if, that's, if that slide shows up in a second, is, is what really is the potential? And I think one of the challenges um, when you look at the information that is coming from it from the industry itself is that no one knows truly the forecasts, the size, the opportunity of IoT. Um, and there's two reasons for that. One is, is it is massive. There's the ability to connect lots of devices in many, many new ways, many of which have not yet been thought of. But there's also the challenge that that every company that is making these forecasts are making it for their own reasons. Now, they may be objective or mostly objective media companies or, or analyst uh, organizations, and, and we'll hopefully be um, meeting with some of those over the course of the uh, these episodes. But additionally, they're, they're forecasts from large companies that are driving uh, their agenda and their profiles and their architecture through this industry. 
I think the 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 really the main takeaway from these forecasts is it doesn't matter how big it is. The answer is it's very large, and it needs to be taken very seriously. And one of the areas that that, that we've been seeing is that the Internet of Things is at least as um, generational and as seismic a change as what caused the internet to find its way onto the C, C stage of every executive um, um, management team in, in the world. So I think as we progress in this industry, the CIO and that role within large organizations will naturally have to become not just fully aware of, of the, the internet and connectivity, but also social media and now the Internet of Things as, as two other areas. Um, Nick, what do you think about the potential? I mean, is it, is it as hyped as it, is it as crazy as it's hyped? Is it as, uh, is it as much noise as it is substance? What do you think? So uh, I'm going to go on record here and be terribly controversial. Um, learning from what has come before, um, again, specifically looking at the Internet, if you look at all the the uh, seemingly ridiculous um, uh, projections that people were making in the late 90s and early 2000s about how big the internet was going to be, um, the wildest, most uh, ridiculed projections from that time period actually turned out to be woefully inaccurate in terms of being massively under what we're actually seeing now today. Um, in terms of uh, money spent on the internet, in terms of businesses that have shifted to be primarily internet driven, um, you know, volume of products shipped out of Amazon. You can pick any stat from the pretty much from the late 90s to early 2000s, and it will be massively under where we are today. And I think that's what we'll see with IoT. I mean, you know, it's, I guess one of the, one of the issues I have with IoT is, is that as a term, it's really not terribly meaningful. I mean, it's a bit like saying, uh, I work in computers, right? Which is the sort of thing that you would tell your grandmother so that she has some idea that you have a respectable job. It really doesn't convey any meaning about what you're actually doing because there are so many different verticals and, and markets that, uh, that can be served by the fundamental idea of connecting devices and shuffling data back and forth that you know, it's, it's a fairly meaningless term overall. But in terms of the, uh, of the actual potential, um, I would be surprised if we don't blow through all of the numbers that everybody's putting on the table in, in half the time or less. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think the challenge with this is that um, although the numbers are huge in, their, uh, in the way they're portrayed already, I think if they were made even bigger, I, I just think people would ignore them and discount them even further, despite the history. And I think the challenge that, that, that we're seeing is that we're working with some very large brands and they are seeing massive opportunity. And in many cases, their, their management and their boards are saying, we need an IoT device without actually knowing what that means or what it entails. Um, a, a great example of that is, is that um, as you're launching an IoT device, there's many of the the components and the players that, that it takes to launch that device that you need to interact with that you probably don't have those relationships uh, before. And it's only when you start talking with each of those players that you realize that, hang on, I've designed this device or I'm designing this device and this service more importantly. And this service has lots of knock-on effects and unintended 
um, values that were really never put forth in the original business plan. And I think that that really points back to your comment on, uh, if you like, the unintended forecast that is significantly above the numbers that, that you know, that are being uh, banded around in the industry. Um, moving on a little bit, I think the challenge with the noise is, is figuring out what's noise and what isn't. And, um, you know, in terms of an expression, I think we, I see a lot of red herrings in this industry. I see a lot of um, situations where, where it's the emperor's new clothes, if you will, to give another analogy. Um, there are shiny objects that are being launched that might find their way onto my wrist or into my pocket for a week or two or three. Um, but in general, these are not um, change agent devices that really cause me to live differently or value the data differently. What do you think about the red herrings out there in terms of IoT, Nick? Well, I think I think there's a there's a couple of key sort of points in there, and and the first one is that IoT is I think in some ways uh, kind of exposing the soul of what uh, the tech industry is bad at, because you know historically the tech industry's always been very siloed. You know, software guys don't understand hardware, hardware guys don't understand software. And, and within each group, right, there are subgroups and smaller groups that, that all don't talk to each other. And when you fundamentally look at an IoT device, you know, it, it really comprises uh, hardware, software, and a user experience all working together very, very closely. And if you compare and contrast that to, say, M2M, which is, you know, sort of the nearest relationship to, um, uh, if you think of it like a, a sort of... Um, uh, tree of life, right? And M2M is kind of on the similar, same branch as IoT. But when you think about it, most M2M guys, maybe they cared about hardware and they probably cared about embedded software, but they really didn't care about the end user experience. That, that was, you know, they were making devices that spat out data and it was somebody else's problem to deal with that. Whereas if you are creating an IoT device, you are fundamentally concerned with the entire ecosystem of the experience that your end customer or user is going to have. So, so I think, you know, I think one of the, the big sort of red herrings is just a lack of acknowledgement, uh, which again is inherent in the tech industry, that it is going to take all of these pieces working together in concert to deliver a good product. I think another, um, uh, another uh, great example um, is just all of the noise about big data. You know, it's um, uh, consistently in the news now, and um, uh, it's it's something that everybody talks about. And I think a lot of people have very limited understanding of, of what it really means. Um, and and fundamentally, you know, I think big data is great. The idea that you can uh, um, acquire enormous amounts of data, and because of developments in technology, uh, processing power, amount of RAM, and so on, you can uh, determine insights that you were just never going to get otherwise. I think that's fantastic. But I think where um, uh, IoT companies especially are tripping over themselves is that they're looking at big data as something that should be presented back to the user. I think it's very important to gather a lot of data. I think it is an incredible mistake to then shovel that data back in the faces of the people trying to use the product. And there was a fantastic example of doing this right um, at, the, uh, at the IoT conference. Um, there was a gentleman from uh, Adidas, uh, Kaiser Hassanji, uh, who is a, a VP of innovation 
at, at Adidas, and he was showing their wearable sports electronics. And they have a consumer targeted product, and then they have a professional product. And the professional product they developed uh, in conjunction with coaches live in the field. And and he was showing how you know, there's a bunch of sensors that you attach to the player. Um, it tracks all kinds of metrics. He showed a spreadsheet that had 60 or 70 columns showing all the data points that were being collected from, you know, position to um, uh, heart rate and blood pressure and all kinds of other, uh, you know, uh, big data, basically. And that was being gathered hundreds of times a minute. And he said, you know, we, we gathered all this data, but we realized very early on because we were talking to the coaches that they really could care less about things like the individual heart rate of the player. What they wanted to know was, is the player fatigued? Uh, does the player, you know, should I be pushing the player to work harder? Are they uh, operating at maximum efficiency or are they being lazy or are they overtaxing themselves? And so they took all of that huge amount of data and boiled it down into three to five simple real-time indicators that tells a coach exactly what they need to know. And that I think is the way to do it right. You know, there, there you are taking big data, you're using it to tee out actionable insights that someone can jump on and, and improve whatever it is they're, they're, they're trying to work on. Um, unfortunately, that is the exception and not the rule uh, in, in IoT in general. Um, most of the time what you're seeing is pages and pages of new data that people really don't have a reason to even try and absorb um, and certainly aren't going to be able to interpret. So, so I think building on that a little bit, I mean, we, we met with um, a very large software provider in India uh, last summer, and one of the discussions that we had with them was about how some of their large customers were asking for big data and asking for analytics, and they were leaving most of the value on the table because they really weren't aware of what we were asking. And as such, I think that's the challenge is that all of this data be it uh, big or otherwise, is being collected. But either it's everything's being collected and everything's being presented, or a sliver of data is being collected and, and, and a small amount is being uh, presented. I don't think there's really a tie-in yet in the industry that lines up the amount, what data is, is, can be collected, what data is then important, and then how should that be presented to the various interested parties surrounding that data. I thought it was an interesting study of maybe what a year ago, um, there was a, a, small, a small seismic event in the Bay Area and Fitbit knew about it before the news channels because of the people that were woken up and disturbed sleep was a pretty good indicator that was something was going on that was unusual because they were able to see a cloud of information rather than just individuals. And I think what, what this points to is how many different people in different industries now are coming into this market. So one of the things that I really wanted to come on to was this fragmentation. So um, hopefully you can see this coming up. We've got a slide on some of the different industries that are looking at the IoT market and trying to understand how they play with it. And I think what's what's completely um, clear about this chart for me is that there's really not one industry that you could name that doesn't have a role to play in IoT if they choose to embrace it. The challenge is that 
the fundamentals of IoT, as as Nick, as you explained earlier, is that it's all about connectivity. So whatever industry you're in, if you are not already fully familiar with how to connect hardware and software devices to the internet in a robust, reliable way, then, then you probably have a lot to learn. And I think that's what we're seeing is this fragmentation is, is potentially a pretty big hurdle for some of these companies that have never been in this space before. And certainly I think that's why, um, as I said earlier, we, we, we were at a conference in San Francisco where there were you know, 5,000 plus people scratching their heads to try and figure out their role in this industry. So one of the things that, that uh, we came on to talk about uh, from, our, from our early discussions about industrial IoT is the bits that are missing. And so, Nick, maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the areas that you think are truly missing from when with young companies and mature companies start looking at IoT projects. What what are the are the uh, the huge gaps that they have in their in their, what blind blind spots that they have in their vision right now in terms of what an IoT project entails to make it successful? Well, I think uh, as I as I mentioned before, right, tech has this history of being very insular. Um, you know, within any particular silo that you're in, you don't pay attention to to people that are adjacent or even non-adjacent to you. And I, I think in general. Any company that is working in IoT um, that hasn't built an IoT product before is going to massively underestimate the complexity of any piece they don't already have experience with. So if they are a hardware company that has uh, prior uh, connectivity experience with, with RF, whether it's Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, or cellular, I guarantee they will underestimate the software piece and they'll underestimate the user experience piece. Um, if they are a software company, they will completely underestimate uh, how complex it is to actually build hardware. They will uh, uh, also miss on things like supply chain um, uh, and, and equally sometimes on, on the user experience. Um, if they're a consumer brand that doesn't have prior experience in electronics, um, then you're, you know, you're opening yourself up to a whole world of, uh, of confusion there because they've got nothing to compare it to in terms of experience. Um, for me, I think one of the biggest challenges that uh, I'm starting to see chatter about and people beginning to think it through, um, but I think is a fundamental that needs to change, is the whole concept of user experience. And especially in the uh, in the mobile app world, you know, there's every time you talk about user experience, people immediately assume that you're talking about the user interface, and and they they focus on, oh, well, the, is is the button green enough, or is it red enough, and is it in the right place? And that is such a small fraction of the overall user experience uh, landscape that um, you know, IoT uh, companies really need to broaden their horizons. You know, fundamentally, the user experience should encompass every aspect of uh, a, a user's ability to touch and interact with the device or data from the device. So you know, I think arguably one of the best companies in the world overall user experience is Apple. Um, a lot of people acknowledge that, but they don't necessarily take the time to look at it and understand what that means. But the second that you look at an Apple ad, you know you're looking at an Apple ad. The second you're in an Apple store, you know exactly where you are. You know, Apple spends an enormous amount of effort making sure that every step of their process 
mirrors the experience that they are and the goals that they're trying to deliver. So, for example, they uh, invested quite a bit in research within the Apple Store itself uh, as to what angle the laptop screen should be at on the desktop. And they have them set at a very precise angle. So the first thing you do is reach out and move the screen. And the reason they do that is so that you then have a physical and tactile uh, connection to the laptop that you're thinking about buying. And you know that's that's the level of thinking that they do about the user experience. It goes through the packaging, it goes through the manuals, uh, the user interface. Every step of the way, they are considering how all of these pieces fit together to provide a seamless experience. And you just really don't see that um, much in in any of the IoT discussions. You know, broadly, uh, uh, folks in industrial IoT think they don't have to care about uh, the user experience because it's not a consumer product. Um, uh, companies that are in the consumer space have huge blind spots about you know what people are actually going to do. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, Chris, you know the idea of, of am I actually going to keep using this device? Right, this whole concept of, of the turnaround device. If I left it at home, would I go back and get it? Most IoT products are failing to meet that bar, regardless of whether they're a consumer product um, or an industrial or enterprise targeted product. Uh, so, so I think you know fundamentally that is where the big effort needs to be uh, placed on the front end of an IoT project um, is is to really, really think through the user experience. And and the the sad thing is, there's a ton of really great examples out there. I mean, when um, uh, when the Palm Pilot was in its early stages and they were out looking for funding, the the team took around a block of wood that was the size and weight of the final device, so that they could put it on the table and people could understand what the experience was going to be. And in this day and age, with with how cheap 3D printing is, you know, I think it's bordering on criminal not to physically prototype your device and try a few different versions, see what works. Um, but you should be applying that to every step. And of course, that's just the front end. And, and, and I know you have a few opinions on the uh, the back end of the of the development process as well. Yeah, thanks. I think on screen, we should be seeing a slide that says implementation complexity. It's meant to be, um, it's meant to be a challenging chart to understand because it's a challenging process to go through. Um, so, so on the left, what we've tried to show here is that that, you know, certainly there's hardware and square uh, issues that people come up with when they start thinking about a physical device that's going to be connected to the internet in some way. Um, and Nick, as you say, that the user experience is a very um, important, uh, if, if not critical, component that's underserved right now. But surrounding that, you know, what we've shown is really a selection of, of hardware, software, and user experience subcategories that try to illustrate some of the considerations that, that, that are really growing out of the planning process. And of course, you know, a, 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 the, the amount of planning that goes into a necessarily successful project um, really is indicative of, of how much um, damage you save yourself later on down the road. What, we, um, what we've also shown here on the right side is some of the business strategy, supply chain management and project and program management aspects that are really also underserved. And the reason is, you know, that there's, there's science and, and um, an engineering effort around supply chain planning and design for supply chain because these are important areas that, that many successful products do consider right up front figuring out what 
what the logistics flow is going to look like, what the component lead time looks like, what the quality is that's designed into each of the components, hardware and software, and even to the extent of software licensing, figuring out which aspects do you just choose to go open source, which do you decide are, are bespoke and custom and configured internally. You know, these are all considerations. And, and I think underserved ones um, that we are starting to see cause a lot of consternation, not just from the device makers or the companies that are brands trying to build devices, but some of the other people in the industry that care passionately about a successful IoT project. So, so maybe moving on to that a little bit, um, one of the, or at least one, if not more of the guests that we will have um, in, in future programs will be from the operator community. And I think that that's a critical component here of trying to figure out not just who is your customer, but who, who cares at least as much about the customer as you do. And of course, in terms of revenue, that, that is the wireless operator. So, um, Nick, can you give me some, some uh, illustrations of your thoughts of why the operators might find the IoT landscape challenging? Well, you know, I, 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 think, I think there's two points. One, one that's a little broader, and that is it almost doesn't matter how big of a company you are, you are going to need some partners as you work on an IoT project. And, you know, certainly what we've seen in the past year is that there is an order of magnitude of complexity uh, increase when you go from a, a Bluetooth or a Wi-Fi device into a cellular device. And, you know, we spend a lot of time looking at uh, cellular proposals because that's a lot of our, of our background, but they are significantly more challenging to build. And, and I think for the, for the operators, I think they've got, they've got multiple tiers of, of, of difficulty. The first is that a lot of companies looking at building an IoT device have no idea how much harder it's going to be to make that a cellular device. You know, they don't understand the issues around antenna design, um, the regulatory issues they're going to get into, um, battery life issues, and so on. Um, you know, they're used to buying a Bluetooth module off the shelf and, and being able to make a very simple antenna and the device is up and running uh, within a matter of days. And, and uh, cellular is simply not that, uh, not that easy. So there's inherently a, a level of support that the operators have to give anybody that is developing a, um, a cellular device. And I think that's, that's, that's a big area of challenge for them because they don't have good metrics for looking at a project and saying, you know, is this actually a good project? Um, is this one that we should be allocating resources to? I mean, obviously, they're, they're trying to help everybody, um, but they've got limited bandwidth. And so, you know, how an operator looks at a sea of 2,000 IoT projects, of which maybe only, you know, 10 actually need to be cellular, um, and, and makes an evaluation as to which one they should be investing their resources in, I, I would think that's, that's a huge challenge for them. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we, we were talking with a large operator um, uh, in the course of the last few months, and one of the comments they made was that they're able to sell productively, able to sell in their retail stores two devices. And, and typically it's an iPhone and it's a, it's a Samsung device in many cases. And, and it's probably the device in the pocket of the person in the retail store because it's the device they are most familiar with. Um, the reality is a lot of the operator community are giving shelf space to IoT but they are not really um, selling successfully these devices because 
um, it, the, the proposition is still a little bit too complicated. Um, what I'd like to show you now is, is, a, is a slide talking about, it's, it's been nicely framed as the, uh, the periodic table of IoT. And what this really shows is how uh, confusing the, the landscape is of the people in the industry that, that care about IoT. Um, I think what's important about this is not whether it captures and, and includes everybody that's, that's playing in this space. It absolutely does not. But I think what it illustrates a little bit is some of the complex nature of the relationships between um, the funding sources, both angel, venture capital, uh, private equity, and also corporate funding, but also areas uh, in terms of device architecture, hardware, software, and services, but also the many, many companies that are not truly in the wireless industry and, and kind of how they are starting to figure out how to fit in. Um, and I think really the point I wanted to make from this chart is how really challenging it is for large, mature, established companies to figure this out. And, and there, as a result, uh, how convoluted and complicated this is for and now you've been involved with um with a, an incubator for the last couple of years particularly maybe you can talk about some of your experiences of these type of young companies trying to figure out which way is up in this very fast changing industry yeah well you know for for any kind of iot play again you've got you've got this double-edged sword where um the uh the company is going to have to deal with um, a hardware component and a software component, um, and and you know really be able to plumb those two things together well, but also to produce them. And you know, when I first started in the software industry, developing applications was was a challenge. You needed a you know a fairly powerful uh, desktop machine for whatever OS you were developing for. You needed a bunch of tools that were probably quite expensive. Um, you needed a fair degree of expertise because there was not anything other than, you know, published books to go and look at for reference. Um, and so the barrier to entry was very high. And, and certainly what I've seen uh, with accelerators that I've interacted with is it is very, very easy now to build a simple software product and get something launched, um, you know, the, the MVP, the minimum, minimum viable product, get something launched for almost no money, you know, on incredibly cheap hosting with open source tools, you can build all kinds of useful tools uh, and products. And, and inherently, I think there's an expectation that you can do the same on hardware if you're coming at it from a, from a software perspective. And so, you know, what I've seen in, in some of the sort of IoT play uh, companies that are early stage that are coming into different accelerators is they just have no appreciation of the difficulties they're going to get into on the hardware side. Um, and and uh, they're not used to dealing with things like uh, regulatory bodies. You know, in, in software, the, the sort of closest we have to a regulatory body is getting your app approved by, by Apple. Um, uh, which is a, you know, a weird arcane process, but not one that you have to go and pay tens of thousands of dollars to a, a third party to, to help you get through. Um, whereas if you're building a cellular device, you may have several layers of things like FCC testing and uh, CE compliance to go through. Um, so I, I think in general, there's just a, a lack of um, experience because it's such a new field. 
uh, and there's assumption there's an assumption certainly on the software side that it's going to work just like software uh, has done for the last five or six years where you can just jump in and get going very quickly um, and it's it's just not that simple no I think I think what is also um, indicative here is that uh, 20 years ago each of the major wireless device manufacturers, had all of these resources in-house. They had all of the hardware, software, engineering, testing, and verification uh, capabilities under, if not one roof, certainly a number of roofs amongst their campus or amongst their different offices around the world. Um, we're not seeing that to be the case anymore. And not only is that not the case for some of the large uh, device makers, it's certainly not the case for IoT entrants that are not even in the wireless industry in the first place. So, you know, what we're starting to see is, is kind of a, a rate of change where there are different uh, value providers in the industry that are becoming, that are creating kind of loose cooperations to provide some of this expertise to the IoT industry, even though maybe they've come from the defense industry or, or uh, medical or other markets where it's, it's basically the same science. And, and one great example of that and an area that we're working in is, is uh, um, RF. And um, when you consider that most of these wireless devices have got literally uh, a dozen or more antennas, all of whom need to talk to each other, all of whom need to not interfere with each other or with any other device, and they need to be tested by and approved by the operators, it, it really is uh, uncharted territory for many, many of these companies. Um, just just to start wrapping up a little bit, one of the areas that, that um, I know, Nick, you've been really focused on over the last few months is trying to take the principle of a, of a, if you like, a venture capital due diligence approach and try to consider how to turn that into a, uh, both a filter for Thingovation, but also a successful journey for uh, new, new entrants into IoT. So maybe you can explain a little bit about what you've been working on regarding a hundred plus questions of IoT. So you know, as as I, I think uh, our, our listeners will have gathered by now, you know, IoT is a complex, complex uh, uh, proposition, and and it has a lot of moving parts to it. And so, as you as you said, you know, we kind of started this process. We realized a lot of questions were coming up um, over and over again. Um, so we started a process of kind of documenting some of that. And in the next couple of months, um, I think we'll probably be ready to, to release something. And, and the idea really was to have a, um, a cheat sheet, if you will, of questions you really should be asking yourself um, before you get too far into your IoT project. Because there are, there are inherent blind spots. As you said, you know, no company is going to have all of this expertise in-house anymore. And so there are areas that you just don't know. Uh, and if you don't know, you don't know what questions you should be asking. And, you know, for example, um, uh, does the data coming out of your device need to be transmitted in real time, near real time, or just, you know, every few minutes? And it makes a significant difference to the way that you architect the whole entire system as to which one of those it's going to be. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody at the IoT World event who was uh, talking about industrial applications for IoT. And they were saying, you know, some of the uh, locations where we would uh, install whatever this device is are very inaccessible. 
and we need a device that is going to work reliably for 15 years. Now, first of all, getting any piece of tech to work for 15 years is a challenge. Second of all, within that kind of time span, with how quickly things like uh, the smartphone market moves, a lot of the components that are in that device may have gone end of life uh, while the device is still in service. And so you've got to you've got to be looking at your supply chain very very carefully if that's if that's the case you know how are we going to support uh, infield maintenance for a device that is hard to reach uh, and needs to be in service for that kind of length of time so you know it, it the, uh, the the hundred plus questions you know we, we I started out sort of uh, thinking that a hundred was a lot and realized that actually we could just kind of keep going um, but you know we we really kind of uh, cover. A lot of different territory from uh, broad business questions about, you know, why are you actually building this? And is it something you even need to build? Is it something that uh, if your company has no experience in this particular area, you know, would you actually be better off just um, going and finding somebody that, that has already built something that you can use? Um, I think big companies are slightly better at doing that than small companies. But nevertheless, um, uh, you know, a lot of companies jump headlong into building an IoT project, um, and and they they really didn't need to actually do it themselves. They would have been better served partnering with somebody outside their organization. Um, you know, there are all kinds of business model questions um, that uh, that you really need to get into at the beginning because again, they're going to drive a lot of your your uh, your thoughts. For example. Um, if your business model is to have some sort of recurring subscription, then the out-of-pocket cost of the device is probably much less of a concern, which means you've got a lot more flexibility on your bill of materials. You know, if your if your lifetime revenue from a customer um, for a particular device, because there's a subscription attached, is going to be three hundred dollars, and the device costs you twenty-five dollars to make. You don't necessarily need to make a huge profit on just the sale of the device because you've got the lifetime uh, revenue. So you know it really it very quickly um, becomes a, a tangled web that you're trying to trying to get through. Even just looking at it from a purely business point of view, um, I think there's there's a, a ton of questions that people have very uh, erroneous ideas initially with any project about battery life. You know that would seem like a, a pretty simple, straightforward thing. Um, but for example, you know, we had a project, uh, I'm sure you remember, uh, where, um, they initially said they wanted a week's worth of battery life. And in talking to actual customers, it turned out that a week was actually a bad idea because customers would forget to charge it. Whereas if it was part of their daily routine where, oh, I have to charge my smartphone at night. I need to charge this smart device at night then it was much more likely to stay in service and be fully charged because it was part of the consumer's uh, uh, typical use pattern. Um, so, you know, the, the, it's, um, again, it's a, it's a tangled web, but uh, it, these, are, these are questions that you really need to ask at the beginning because they're going to drive the hardware, the software, the user experience, your business model, um, how you approach the market, how you get to market, uh, and who your customers are. They're all, they're all very, very tightly coupled. Um, and, and again, you're going to be working with partners outside of your business to get this thing built. So, so you better have some good answers to these questions because otherwise you're going to be off in the woods before you know it and, and have no idea where you are. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think a realization of the last five years working with both young companies as well as, as young business units that are, that are trying to navigate 
this type of area from even within large companies is is the first is the realization of what they don't know and then even in even once they've realized that what do they do about it what kind of help do they reach out for and do they even know who to contact in the first place and i think the quality of that help that these young businesses or um, funding sources or or young business units uh, reach out for is critical to any kind of success in IoT because it is so complicated. So, so um, I'm basically an optimist. I've been playing wireless for the last uh, God knows how long, and I think from that point of view, um, let's let's end this on a little bit more of a positive note before I wrap up and and uh, talk a little bit about the rest of the series that we're putting together. Um, so, so let's talk about some some good examples. It's always nice to have a warm hug at the end, right? Let's figure out why is IoT so fragmented, and yet there is still so much positive news, so much positive noise about it. So, think about some of the examples that you see of things done properly. And ideally, it's okay if a few of them started out in Cupertino, but hopefully not all of them. So, maybe. Give us some thoughts as to some of these these good products that you see, or these good services, um, and and why that that helps you be an optimist mostly, uh, also. So, well, first of all, I think there are some really good consultants out there that can help you with your IoT projects. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think, I mean, to come back to a, a system I already mentioned, I thought the uh, the Adidas system was a very impressive example of IoT because you know this is a company that makes sports products you know they understand how to stitch leather and and make uh, interesting uh, fabrics that they turn into to performance garments and so on but they had never really done uh, consumer electronics uh, devices you know they'd partnered with some customers companies before to to bring things to market but this was a ground-up initiative that, that they did entirely internally, bringing people in as they needed to. And the end result was impressive. I mean, you know, they, they, they were um, a little shy about it, but um, the German soccer team used the, the system in, in training for the, for the World Cup, which, of course, Germany won. Um, and, and, you know, that may not have a whole lot to do with uh, how much they use the Adidas system, but I bet it was a contributing factor because the system works and it works really well and it works well for the people it was designed for. It doesn't inconvenience the players. They get to play as they would normally and it provides a whole bunch of new information for the coaches that they never had before. So I think that's probably my, my favorite non-obvious um, example. Um, I've, been, uh, I've been very fond of my uh, Motorola 360 watch as well. Um, which is not, I mean, depending how you argue uh, your case, I suppose you could say isn't necessarily an IoT device. I sort of think of it as one. Um, but I found that to actually be productivity enhancing, which is nice. And I think Google are making great strides in terms of uh, Android Wear and how that user experience works. Um, I think that's that's coming together quite nicely. Um, so th those are probably my top three at the moment. Okay, thanks for that. So, so just to finish off, um, first of all, I'd like to thank Nick for joining me to talk about the IoT landscape as it as it uh, as it is today, at least. Um, what we would like to do over the next few weeks is we'll be having various guests from around the world and around the industry to talk about their perspective on why their company is involved in IoT and what they see as the trends. 
that they're watching today, as well as the trends that they, that they expect over the coming um, years. Um, our, our aim is to include a number of people from the operator community, from the media, even from things like technical recruiting, because, you know, when, when we talk about companies that, have, that are hiring skills for jobs that five years ago did not exist, this is a changing environment for everybody in the industry. So we're, we're hoping to address some of these questions uh, and talk about the environment a little bit over the coming weeks and uh, look forward to you joining me in this. And in the meantime, if you have questions that you would like to pose uh, and if you have thoughts that you'd like to add to this discussion, then my contact information and ways to get hold of us are, are available. And um, we look forward to, to you joining us in uh, future episodes. Thank you again for joining IoT Innovation. IoT Innovation is a production of RCR TV. To reach Chris Hare or suggest a show topic for IoT Innovation, you can reach Chris at cbh at ntete.com. To find out more about IoT Innovation and all things wireless, visit rcrwireless.com.